Church, I'd like to think about culture together. I'd like to think about how culture is formed, um, the power and impact that culture can have. Uh, I think it's particularly relevant in the the world that we live in. Cultures get formed. There's an American culture that develops. There are certainly uh, racist and prejudicial cultures that develop within family groups, within races of people, within communities. Uh, There are cultures that are developed in our homes. Um, Different businesses have different cultures. I'll define that a little bit more. But I think it's relevant to think about culture because uh, we're a part of our own cultures. We're interacting with people that are part of other cultures. And that's not necessarily a racial comment. That could be people of any race, but have grown up in a certain community with a certain set of beliefs, uh, a certain set of practices that have shaped them. And as part of their group, whether it's defined by skin color or by religious beliefs or by, um, you know, uh, which neighborhood you grew up in, uh, those cultures shape and define so much of who the people in that place grow up to be. Uh, It feels especially relevant to me as well because this upcoming week we want to go out into the community for our Serve Home Challenge Week and we want to be a culture of self-sacrifice. We want to be a people that represent love and generosity and uh, hard work and uh, Christ. And so that's a culture. Those are cultural values, our our practices, working with our hands and shovels and rakes and painting and and drilling and all the things we're going to be doing. uh, Those represent our cultural values of uh, working hard with our own hands to show Christ's love in practical ways. So it'll feel satisfying because it, it gives us an outlet for what we value so much, so highly. And, uh, It made me think about how cultures are developed and it made me feel like, wow, the cultures in our homes are so pivotal and the culture that we create here in this small New Hope family is so critical. And as we engage with cultures in the world and see where it just, uh, there are cultures of hate and cultures of um, pride, there are cultures of greed. There are all sorts of negative uh, cultures uh, that are part of the world around us. When we interact with those, I would love it if we could be influential. If our culture, our subculture, our kingdom culture could influence uh, what is going on in the world right now so that we might be able to build the kingdom mindset would grow and people would realize wow these people who've adopted these beliefs and these practices they offer a better reality, a better approach to life, a better understanding, a better culture. And I want to join that. I want to put aside my previously held beliefs, my practices, because I know what they do is they develop me into this sort of a person, but I'm seeing what these Christ followers are fostering in their communities, and I want to grow into that with them. In our country, actually, I was thinking that a lot of the issues that we're facing are both racial issues, but also cultural issues. And I don't know which one's of greater significance or what the relationship is. They're definitely both at play. But, uh, you know, a, a child who grows up in a community where certain races are devalued, whether that child happens to be white, happens to be black, happens to be whatever nationality or ethnicity, if they grow up in that, their, their beliefs will be, oh, I'm better than that person. Uh, if a person grows up in an impoverished community where they have to sort of fight for every scrap and life is hard, nothing's handed to them, and um, they're maybe in a dangerous place, then they're going to develop certain attributes and their, 
behaviors and thoughts will have been shaped by that culture that they grew up in, that neighborhood that they grew up in, those needs that they grew up facing every single day. And it won't be because of the color of their skin. It'll be because of the culture that they grew up in. If someone grows up in a culture of culture where violence is celebrated and, and people are celebrated for how bad they can be or how rebellious or how outrageous, then those will be the values and then the beliefs and practices that those children will grow up to, to embody themselves. It'll be what they know and it won't be based on their gender. It won't be based on their skin color. Uh, it'll be based on that culture. I think culture is a powerful thing. We're seeing cultural forces play out. Not necessarily like um, Caucasian versus black. Not cultural like that, but uh, cultural. Who have you grown up in community with? Who has shaped your beliefs and your values? What place, what location have you grown up in? what religion, what race, what gender, those are influences, but culture is kind of another layer to how we're shaped. And, and I just wanted to look at the fact that God has never looked at culture from the human standpoint. God has always wanted to shape and create culture regardless of which humans will join him in it. And it would seem at first blush, like if you look at the Jewish people in the Old Testament, there should be a classic example, right, of a race. God chose a certain race of people, a certain ethnicity, and said, you're my chosen people. Israel, you're my chosen people. So um, I will give you my laws. I will give you my blessing. I will give you this. But you recognize as soon as he did, he didn't celebrate their Jewishness. He celebrated their obedience. And when he gave them instructions, it wasn't just be Jewish, be Israelite, be a nation of Israel, and then do whatever you want as that nation. He said, no, be my nation, be my people, God says, and I will instruct you how I want you to live in this world so that when people see you, they see me. And there's actually examples, there's a great passage I want to read from Isaiah 56, where those who were other nationalities who came into Israel, if they adopted the practices, the beliefs, circumcision, temple sacrifices, all those things, they were adopted into the nation of Israel. And so Israel wasn't meant to be racially pure, even though that's where it started and that's how they defined their boundaries a lot, but God was teaching them that he wanted them to be culturally pure. He wanted their actions and their faith, their, their behaviors in the world and their beliefs to reflect him. And he wanted them to keep that pure. And if anyone wanted to come in and join them in that, great. They could join, be grafted into the nation of Israel. But Israel wasn't meant to just be whatever Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or the 12 tribes wanted. It's what God wanted. And they lived that out. So I'd like to read that passage from Isaiah 56 and then see how it played out in Christ also for the, the reason that we need to be thinking about which cultures we're a part of. What are the things that we celebrate? Uh, do we live a Christian life at home? Do we have a Christian home culture in our churches, in our outreach, at work, on our own? Uh, when no one's watching, do we, we cultivate this, this atmosphere and these beliefs and these practices of Christ to reflect Him? Because that's where our impact is going to be. And that's actually a kingdom culture. We'll, we'll read about that. But just hear from the Old Testament to know that God's not about racial purity as much as He is cultural 
purity and his culture, a culture of his love, his justice, his grace. It's Isaiah 56. It says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning it and keeps his hands from doing any evil. So you're blessed by being just and having righteousness and keeping your hands from evil and, and worshiping the Lord. It goes on in verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, Surely the Lord will separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, who holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So it's not a racial thing. Even to these people that can't have children. You know, eunuchs in that day, single people today, celibate people today, uh, people unable to bear children. God says it's not about whether you carry on the family line. It's not about your racial purity. I will join you into my family. God the Father all children and give you a monument and a name and a family even better than what would have been without God and just children a better inheritance and for those who aren't part of this Jewish family tree God says I graft you in join join and minister to the Lord love the Lord your sacrifices are just as good as anyone's because your heart is for me I will bring you into my house so you can pray because my house is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations for all peoples I love that thought because when we think of separations of peoples, you know, if someone is unable to have children and it's a permanent sort of condition, right? Something physical is like, well, that's the end of that conversation. What do you do for that? We pray for a miracle. Okay. But in the event, in the, the lack of an event of a miracle, the reality is that's just the way it is. Well, how do we live? And God says, no, it's not about whether you're in or whether you're out. It's about me giving you something and delivering you into something better than you ever could have imagined. And when we think about races, it's like, well, what are we going to do about people being black or white? Well, you can't change the color of a skin. That feels like an inoperable, unchangeable fact. But what can we do about culture? What can we do about the ways that we behave, about the things that we believe? Oh, that's imminently changeable. That's absolutely something we can say. Well, we can have influence on that, behaviors. We see people in Scripture in our own lives where things have changed for them. And since it wasn't based on our heritage, our ethnicity, and since it wasn't based on our physical abilities, since it was based on God, then like all the, the rules <laughs> don't apply anymore. God transcends all those things. You know, if we're a people that believe in resurrection, if we're a people that believe in eternal life, if we're a people that believe in miracles, then anything is possible. No one is too far gone. Nothing is too broken. God is able. You know, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who loves God must know that God is capable of doing all the things that he promised. And so our faith basically says, it doesn't matter if I can't see it. It doesn't matter if I wasn't born it. And take it even further with grace. It doesn't matter if I haven't lived it in the past. If I feel like I'm the worst sinner of all, 
No one's too far gone. It's never too far lost. And so that's a, a culture. We can become a, a culture of people that feel like I'm a failure. But that's a belief. And when we come to Christ, we recognize oh, Christ redeems and restores. He is our righteousness. So no, you're not too far gone. You're not too far broken or too far cut off. You're not too far different because we come together in God. And it's been that way throughout. And so what if we can create this culture where it doesn't matter who you were born, what family you were born into, or how you were born, your physical characteristics, or what you've done, but in Christ all become one. Well, that's exactly what we see in Galatians chapter 3, right? So let me read that. It says, in Christ... Verse 26, Galatians 3, 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as you were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You know, we're meant to live lives like everyone matters. We're meant to live lives like nothing is impossible. And if we live lives and we have values of self-sacrifice because Christ sacrificed for us, then that's the most important thing. We will see that self-sacrifice work itself out in our lives. We'll bear fruit for it. It'll be our value. It'll change how we behave. Next week in Serve Home, we'll find ways to serve in lots of different ways because it's a joy to act out who we are. But if we're people who can't, or people who feel like, oh, I'm such a hypocrite because if only people knew how bad I was, then I couldn't go and serve the Lord. God couldn't love me. Or if I grew up in this place and not in this place, like, no, all are one. If those are our values, if we value self-sacrifice, if we value generosity, then our beliefs will act themselves out in generous ways. If we value love, then our, our behaviors and our actions will create a culture of love. You want to create a Christian culture, a Christ-like culture, a Jesus culture, a culture of love and self-sacrifice and generosity because that's what Jesus did and he invited us into his culture no matter where we've come from. So this upcoming week, I just want to challenge us to be influential in culture to invite people into that culture? Do you have neighbors or friends you can invite to join you in serving? Because as you do and as you come together, you realize this is what the kingdom of God actually is. It starts as a small thing, a small belief. Like we can do anything. Nothing is impossible for God. And everyone matters. And he wants everyone to love him. And he loves everyone. Those small little seeds grow into something beautiful. And pretty soon more and more people say, well, I never grew up that way. My family taught me that, you know, we're better than these people because they do this and we do this. My family told me I'd never amount to anything because I'm this or I'm that. I've failed in too many ways. Well, when we live a culture that says everyone's loved, everyone's valued, and Christ unites us and makes us equal, then people will see that and say, wow, I can be forgiven? Wow, I can be of great worth? wow, I'm not different, we're the same, and all come together in Christ. And so this brings me to the, the third and final 
scripture I wanted to read, and it's from uh, Matthew. It's in Matthew 13, where Jesus is talking and preaching about the kingdom. What is the kingdom of heaven? What does it look like when Christians gather together, when people gather together and celebrate Jesus? Well, it creates a culture of these values, a culture of his life, where his example is the best example. And as we see each other interacting and we see Christ, we read about him and we celebrate and we rejoice in who he was and we start to act like that, then we become more and more and more like him. So Matthew 13, 31, Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, a single grain, tiny grain, that a man took and he sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Like, that's, that's an illusion. That tree where all the animals, the birds can come and make nests in its branches, that's Old Testament, that's New Testament, that's, that's a metaphor, that's an illusion to what God is for the world and what the kingdom of God is for the world. And there will be those who want to come and take shelter in that culture. But we have to reflect that culture. Do our homes have Christian culture in them? Are we talking about scripture? Do we value things like forgiveness with each other? Do we value things like self-sacrifice and service? The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. So is that how we treat each other? What can I do for you? Anything I can do to help? You know, the best question in the world. What can I do to help? That's what our family calls it. All right, kids, ask your mom the best question in the world. Mom, what can I do to help? Okay, you can set the table. You can clean your room. You can come and sit with me for a while so we can talk. Just looking for others' needs. Is that what we find in our homes? Some homes, yes, and some homes, no. And guess what? Either way, it's influential. You know, Romans 12 says, don't be conformed any longer into the pattern of this world. That's a slow shaping and molding and really stifling process over time. We just get locked in. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you know, can know what God's will is. That's a freeing process over time. It's an opening process. It's a, a life-giving process. And it's an expanding one. And pretty soon when our homes become centers of, of Christ-like culture, then our neighbors notice and want to come in and be in our branches. And next week, I hope that our, our work sites and I hope the people that we interact with at Lowe's and Home Depot. And I pray that the people that we work alongside, maybe our friends and neighbors that come and join us, you know, cleaning up a local garden space in Brockton or collecting suitcases for foster kids or whatever the projects may be, making bag lunches for the homeless. You know, will we be creating a culture of love? Because it's very possible for us to do a lot of good deeds and not have a culture of love. We've done a good thing, but it wasn't fostering what Christ did. And it's very possible to do a lot of good things and at the end of it to think that we're better than the people that we did it for. We didn't create a Christ-like culture in that moment. We just did a nice thing. That's not what Christ was about. Christ was about living out the Father's will on earth so that God would get the glory, glorifying God through our actions. And so we want to glorify God. We want to elevate others above us. So... A Christian culture is what uh, my prayer is for our families. It's what my prayer is will be uh, seeds that we plant this upcoming week that will grow into something more beautiful. And uh, it's a challenge that I want to give us as well, to be culture 
influences in our political conversations, in the racial conversations and tensions, in the, the coronavirus um, frustrations and season of loss that 2020 has been for the world, it seems. Can we represent a culture of hope where despite it all, we have hope that God will lead us through? Can we represent a culture of forgiveness where when someone sins against us, we don't repay evil with evil? Can we represent a culture of gratitude, even if it feels like there's so much to be ungrateful for? Well, if we can, we'll see those small seeds planted and grow into something beautiful. We'll be living a kingdom culture then that isn't based on where we come from or who we are or what we've done, but based on the love of Christ. And that will be contagious. So I challenge you to live contagious lives this week, to pray about fostering that culture in your homes, in the workplace that you go to you know, during the week, even if it's a virtual workplace, the people you interact with, family, friends, worship, neighbors, um, serve home work sites. May we create Jesus cultures in all the places that he sends us. And may we say, see his kingdom come on earth and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven this week. May God bless you as you create culture this week.